In Luke 10, 2, Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you look across the landscape of your congregation, regional church system, or denomination, and wonder where are all the leaders, you are not alone. Many of us are facing what seems like a dearth of leaders for the ministries that currently exist, let alone those the Spirit may be calling us to start to reach people in today's world. In this episode, we will be exploring the collaboration and multiplication of church leaders with our good friend here, Dr. Samuel Dressa. Samuel will share with us how new church leaders are being raised up in a context where churches are growing so fast that the number of clergy just can't keep up, which is the reality in his native Ethiopia. Keeping up with exponential church growth isn't a challenge that we're facing here in the U.S. or in other Western contexts, which is all the more reason why we need to learn from how the Holy Spirit is at work in the global church. These global, growing global churches have the same problem as a lot of Western churches, which is they don't have enough clergy to fill the open spots in local congregations. They have embraced one of the key pivots that we're exploring in this podcast, the pivot from primarily clergy-led lay-supported ministry to primarily lay-led clergy-supported. We want to explore this approach to leadership and how it may relate to the vitality that we are experiencing. Hello, everyone. I'm Terry Elton. And I'm Dwight Shiley. Welcome to the Pivot Podcast. If you're new here, this is the podcast where we talk about how the church can faithfully navigate a changing world. We are excited to have Samuel Dressa with us today as our guest. Dr. Dressa is Associate Professor of Theology in the Global South and Fichtner Chair for Christian Outreach at Concordia University, St. Paul. He was pre- previously Gudina Tumsa Chair for Justice at the Makana Jesus Seminary in Addis Ababa. He's the author and editor of several books on mission, leadership, African Christianity, and public witness, including leadership formation in the African context. Samuel, welcome to the Pivot Podcast. So good to be here. So let's begin by having you share a bit about the story of the Makana Jesus Church. What is the Makana Jesus Church in Ethiopia? And how did it become what I think is the fastest growing Lutheran church in history? Well, the history of the Lutheran Church uh, in Ethiopia actually started, you know, not long ago, but about 120 years ago, uh, with the conversion of one slave, freed slave, by the name Onesimus Nasib, and um, he was the first person that was baptized as Lutheran in Ethiopia by the Swedish missionaries, mm-hmm. and uh, that was um, 1868. And his baptism actually is what started um, the Lutheran faith in Ethiopia. So when the Swedes came to Ethiopia, what they wanted to do was to reach out to the Oromo group uh, in the western part of Ethiopia. Uh, but when they got to the border, then they were blocked uh, because the king didn't want them to go into the interior part uh, because of being suspicious of all, all white people coming to Africa. Uh, for obvious reason, of course, other African countries were being colonized. Uh, so rather than returning back, then what they did was to start um, a mission station in the present-day Eritrea, which was part of Ethiopia. 
and they began by freeing slaves and and training them as missionaries to go back to their own people and start uh, the Christian faith. So and Onesimus was the first that they freed uh, from slavery and um, you know taught him and baptized him uh, and then sent him back to his own people. So he returned back with the translation of the Bible into the local language and Luther's catechism. And that was the start of the Lutheran Church uh, 120 years ago. But now today we have over 12 million Lutherans in Ethiopia, which is the largest Lutheran church in the wow. world. And um, 120 years, but all these Lutherans now in Ethiopia. That's amazing. Where do you come into this story? How do you fit into this movement? Well, I grew up um, in a Lutheran family, and my father was a professor at the seminary. And I grew up at the, Luth- uh, at the uh, seminary campus uh, where my father taught for years. And um, You know, and I shared I... that story, just so you know. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was in high school, you know, I loved numbers, and I told numbers were going to be my whole world. So my first degree was in accounting. Wow. Then, in mysterious way, then God worked out for me to do my degree again in theology and uh, work in a church. Was God laughing when he said, okay, you do numbers first. You'll come right. back. Yes. Right, yes. I think so. Yeah. So what brought you from Ethiopia here to the United States? Well, I came for my study here at Luther Seminary in 2011. Mm-hmm. So uh, I applied to seven different schools, and the best scholarship that I got was at Luther and historically, too, um, one of the Ethiopian former church leaders that I really admired was a graduate from here. Mm-hmm. His name is Gudina Tumsa, mm-hmm. uh, who was martyred by, uh, killed by the military government in 1979 uh, because mm-hmm. of his faith and uh, known as the Dietrich Bonhoeffer of Africa, uh, a very uh, popular uh, figure in Africa. So I always associated this school with Gudina Tumsa. And when I got accepted here, and it's like I thought like that, that was the right place to go for me. Yeah. That's great. So if I understand correctly, so much of that exponential growth in the church um, really happened starting in the mid-20th century and up, you know, really, and it continues to accelerate. Um, share a little bit about what leadership looks like in that context of the Makana Jesus Church, and even more broadly in Ethiopia or Africa more generally, um, what is the ratio of you know clergy to lay leaders? What kind of roles are there for lay leaders? Uh, how is this all organized? Give us a picture of that. Well, if you look at the history of the Lutheran Church in Ethiopia, uh, for the f- main part, uh, for the major part, I would say, uh, for so many years, the church was being laid by lay ministers. Even the presidents were lay ministers Mm -hmm. until very, very recent. I would say um, 1980s is when the church began to only call ordained pastors as presidents uh, and so on. Uh, It was uh, basically led by, uh, you know, uh, lay leaders such as Emmanuel Abraham, the first president of the church, and Francis Stephanos. Uh, he was also the lay president, uh, the second uh, president of the church. Uh, but Francis was ordained later on because there was some pressure uh, from other churches and uh, because they were confused uh, 
by the fact that the Lutheran Church in Ethiopia was being laid by uh, a president that was not ordained. Uh, even though he was a theologian, he did study theology. So he got ordained in his latter part of um, his ministry as the president of the church. Uh, from that time on, Makanesu's um, church always had ordained pastors as, as presidents, even though that is not the requirement to be the president for the church. Uh, but uh, other positions are open for lay ministers too in the church, uh, whether that is at the local congregation or at the higher offices in the church. So what are some of those local roles um, and, and, you know, how many um, pastors, you know, um, are there relative to lay leaders? Like, just give us a little more on the local level, like um, a sketch of that. Well, the situation in Ethiopia is a bit different when compared to here. It's like the, the pastor's ministry and so on. Um, it's like uh, pastors, you know, each congregation may have pastors and and there are some congregations that do not have pastors uh, but the ministry of the church on the one hand is basically led by mainly lay ministers even though they whether they have pastors or not and I can say that the you know the ministry in Ethiopia about 75 percent of the ministries that happens in the church in the local congregations are, are carried out by lay ministers. Um, and the only uh, roles that, the main roles that ordained ministers would play is when it comes to public ministries, such as um, administering sacraments and so on, uh, that is restricted to the ordained ministers. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, ministries, other ministries, including preaching, is open for lay ministers. Uh, when I uh, was in Ethiopia, I would say ordained pastors might preach one third of the time throughout the year and uh, non-ordained uh, ministers uh, like evangelists and uh, elders of the church and uh, they would be taking turns and preaching um, as well and that actually is the same when it comes to the immigrant congregations here in the united states uh, whether they're lutherans or not uh, so um, you know, I am part of the Lutheran Church in Ethiopia here that worships at Jehovah Lutheran Church, uh, which is on the Slaling and Thomas Avenue. Um, so in that congregation now, the same culture and the same tradition um, is happening, whereby ordained ministers uh, will take turn with, uh, with lay ministers uh, to do ministry in the church. So I'm a professor, you're a professor. How do they, uh, wh what does training look like or what does equipping of these lay folks look like? And um, what's the balance? I guess that's the word I'm trying to think of between like knowing things and just like on the job training, you know what I mean? Learning as you kind of apprenticing, kind of what, what does that look like for the lay leaders in these congregations or these ministries? Well, there are two things that I began to notice uh, when I arrived here uh, about 13 years ago in terms of the difference in, in mm -hmm. training and so on. And one is like uh, here, for example, the, uh, the people that goes to seminaries are mostly the ones that are, um, that wants to be pastors and trained to be pastors and so on. Um, 
whereas in Ethiopia, there are many people that go to the seminary, not necessarily to be ordained, mm-hmm. uh, but just to minister in the church mm-hmm. as they ministers. Um, so the seminaries and Bible schools, uh, you know, may have like 50-60% of students um, that are interested in becoming, you know, ordained um, ministers in the church. But I would say about 40-50% of them would be medical doctors and nurses or lawyers that go to the seminary uh, just to have, you know, the knowledge uh, when they do their ministry in the church. That's oh, interesting. Yeah. So I suspect it's not accidental that there was this very much lay-empowered model of ministry that coincided with such exponential growth, that somehow these things might be connected. Um, say more about that. Do you think that's the case? And um, what's, what is the kind of culture of both discipleship and empowerment and engagement that would both um, foster this kind of strong lay leadership tradition, but also then this strong tradition of, of growth and evangelism and discipleship and, and um, vitality in the church? Yeah, well, uh, that's a good question. And I, I would say like in the African context, that's a very communal culture. Um, so co- community plays a huge role in these. Um, and, and also the worship culture there and how they do church uh, and how that is different from here is that there is a Sunday service, of course, for everybody to gather on Sundays and uh, do worship and so on. But when it comes to other days, there are so many activities, such as, for example, uh, you know, Bible studies and people would come together and do Bible studies and in homes and they have worship and prayer times in, in, in house churches. I, w- I would call them house churches because they function as, as a church, even though they are, they're just houses anyways. Uh, so lots of activities takes place in those houses. And I would say a lot of like spiritual formation happened in those houses much more than you know it happens in the church. And, and it's lay ministers that do the, all those ministries. Um, so women and men and young people, and, and they're all participating in that and leading uh, prayers and playing and praying for the sick and helping each other out uh, in times of difficulties and so on. So that connection and communal life is what impacts the African community at large. And that is how the church really attracts a lot of people from different communities to come and, and join the church. And that's what leads to grows um, in, in many ways uh, because their life is always interconnected and, and full of prayer and full of studying the Bible together and supporting each other when there is a need and so on. Um, so there is a church, but no, uh, but it's circled by lots of communities connected to the church, but functioning in different ways and, and are doing ministries outside the church in multiple ways. It's really interesting to me, um, the relational, it's almost like a relational network is kind of what is coming to mind about there's a variety of different smaller groups. Uh, and one of the things I'm wondering about, uh, I'm thinking about my experience in Tanzania and sometimes people have to travel quite a ways for Sunday worship, but 
have smaller villages or smaller things. What's the geographic kind of distance that we're talking about, you know, with these smaller communities and where they come together and worship? Are they large? Are they small? Are they, do they vary? What, what does that entail? Well, it depends on how large the congregation is. Mm -hmm. Like when I, the congregation that I attended for most of my life, you know, the smallest I would say in Addis, the kind of, that is where I grew up, and the smallest would, would be about 3,000. And it goes from 3,000 to 6,000 and, and 10,000 people worshiping in the same church. Yeah. Um, so that is pretty large, and yeah. it can be like, you know, one whole village. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that is how they are really connected yeah. uh, with each other. And people know each other's name, and uh, they are very connected in, in many ways. Uh, it's quite different from my experience here because America is very much individualistic culture. Right. And right. whereas Africa is quite communal. Um, so families, you know, they, they get together a lot. And, and faith also plays a huge role in the life and ministry of the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I say faith really uh, plays a huge role, and, and, and here, you know, Everything is compartmentalized and phase of its own place and work and family and, and some things like that. Uh, but in the African context, there is not no part of your life that is not touched by faith. Mm -hmm. And faith is at the center of everything, family life and uh, work and, uh, and everything. Um, so that, that also have its own, its own role to play. So, uh, so many things. Those are very large congregations, as right. you think about for us. Uh, having served in a very large congregation, um, the only way that was vibrant was through, through smaller relational communities, right? So I think a lot, lot of our congregations function more like a big, small group than the gathering of a lot of smaller relational groups. And I think there's that's an interesting thing for us to think about what does it mean to do life together, right? right? Throughout the week, throughout um, the month, throughout the seasons right. and showing up. So you've been here a long time now in the U.S. What are some lessons that you think our listeners in the U.S. could learn from your experience both in Ethiopia and in bringing some of those Ethiopian principles and commitments here as you do church in your own context or here with your own people in your, your church? Well, one thing I, I would say is what I noticed in, in lots of different churches here is like Americans really like to be in control <laughs> of everything that happens, you know, in their lives, including the church. How good are um, we at that? Not so good some days, right? <laughs> but what I really noticed when I was in Africa is there is a lot of room to be surprised. Huh. And huh. and I know, like, when I've heard leaders always say that we plan for this, but we know that God is a God of surprise, so he's going huh. to surprise us. So they leave a room for surprise. And God has continued to surprise the churches in Ethiopia by blessing them abundantly uh, with lots of people being added to the church um, all the time. So I think one thing the American church, I think, uh, should learn is to really trust in God mm -hmm. and 
no, to uh, to give uh, oneself the freedom to be surprised. And we can plan for something, and we should not be annoyed uh, if God comes to surprise us uh, by doing something new in our churches or lead us into some kind of new ventures and so on. I love that. Mm. Surprise. I'm curious about the role of clergy relative to the lay leaders in terms of to what extent are clergy responsible for equipping, mentoring, coaching lay leaders, or does that happen just really more lay leaders raising up and coaching and mentoring each other? Yes, the clergy in the Lutheran church in Ethiopia, and I think that is also similar with uh, with the Lutheran churches in other parts of Africa, like Tanzania, Kenya, and other places. Uh, their main role is simply to coordinate and educate and raise up leaders uh, to serve in the church, uh, to put it simply. And that is way different uh, with the way I have come to see uh, you know, how leaders understand themselves in the American context. And especially now I'm part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and I have encountered a lot of pastors and I've interviewed them, and some of them were my students, and I, and I listened to their perspective of what it means to be a pastor. And, and here I, for example, uh, remember when I had a conversation with a pastor and a few members, and um, there was a time when the members told me that he has to do everything because that is what he's paid for. And that, that is, um, you know, uh, being African, that was a very difficult thing uh, for me to hear as a response. And, uh, but in the Ethiopian context, that is not the case. And they would have, they would like to have pastors, uh, but not a pastor that would come and control everything, uh, but a pastor that can coordinate and help them and equip them to be involved in the life and ministry of the church uh, as much as possible. And and I know that, uh, and, and one thing that I have also began to notice is like, for example, when the Lutheran churches or other churches in Africa or in Asia or Latin America uh, say that they, ha they have this much uh, members, they're actually talking about the actual members that are, um, you know, actively uh, participating in the life and ministry of the church. But that is not the case here. Um, most of the role is, is you now by ordained ministers and, uh, and so on. And I think, um, and the, the church in Africa, in Asia, Latin America, what they're doing, um, you know, very, very well is in terms of helping everybody in the church be part of the life and ministry of the church, not just come and worship and go back as if they have got nothing to do with the church, um, except go there and worship. And you now they have turned from being recipients to to real participants and givers and so on. So for for my part, and I can say that my father was a pastor, of course. Uh, but I was raised more by my mother uh, when it comes to my, my spiritual life and lay ministers uh, that taught me in the Sunday schools and, uh, you know, in, in Bible schools, in um, 
um, in in Bible studies in the villages and so on. And that is how we all were raised. Um, and I think the church in America would benefit really the most if they can learn from those, um, you know, ministries, way of ways of doing ministry. Um, that that is what I would say. Well, I think we have been a positive recipient from a missionary from Ethiopia to at least the St. Paul area, but certainly beyond with this podcast and in your teaching and your writing. You you are an author that has put out many books. I've seen the stack of them. Is there anything that you haven't got a chance to share with us that you want to end with sharing with us today? What I... Uh, the the only thing that I um, wanted to add on top of what I have um, already said uh, is also, you know, the interconnection uh, between congregations and how that really helps the church, um, you know, revive and uh, revive its ministry and and so on, and. Uh, and and this is also trans. This can also translate in terms of, uh, um, you know, how lay ministers of different churches can come together and really do miraculous things in their communities, mm -hmm. uh, such as feeding the hungry and and work, you know development works and mm -hmm. uh, you know being a voice for the voiceless and so on. And that is one way where lay ministers really uh, play a huge role in the life and ministry of the church. Yeah, just like we're very individualistic in our own world, often we treat congregations as their own entity of themselves here. And I think congregations that have opened that and see, even had partnerships across different denominations, different contexts, that kind of stuff, is it's totally enriching. Right. right, yeah. Even, you know, congregations within the same denomination here are not that much interconnected. They, they do their own stuff, and they don't know much about each other um, and, and so on. But uh, that is actually not the case in other parts of the world, and they are very much interconnected, and they serve with each other. And uh, they know, um, I mean... You know, they always have something to collaborate on and work mm -hmm. together, uh, especially when it comes to impacting their own communities, um, either through development or through issues, um, you know, that, you know, caring for the environment or the creation care and, and other stuff that they do together. Well, Samuel, you've blessed us with so much wisdom and inspiration in your story. And I think as we here in the U.S., Try to navigate this pivot and reimagine um, how leadership can flourish. I think um, going back to expecting surprise, expecting God to act, trusting in God's leadership, those are really important lessons for us to hear. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. We're signing off from another episode of The Pivot Podcast, and we'll see you next week. The Pivot Podcast is a production of Luther Seminary's Faith Lead. 
FaithLead is an ecosystem of theological resources and training designed to equip Christian disciples and leaders to follow God into a faithful future. Learn more at faithlead.org.